Hello, people of podcast land. Welcome back. My guest today is podcaster, speaker, author, and my new best friend, Michael Malice. For those of you who don't follow us on Twitter, me and Michael have had a bit of a bromance going on since our first episode a couple of weeks ago, and we've been speaking pretty regularly, having some interesting conversations, so we thought, why not just record one? So this is it. It probably listens quite a lot like the catch-up episodes that I do with Johnny and Yusuf. No real agenda, but we get to talk about a lot of cool stuff that's been going on recently, including David Icke getting banned from YouTube with Brian Rose's London Reel, what it feels like for Michael to be in New York City when there's essentially no one on the streets. We actually even get into fitness, diet, training, motivation, mindset, talk about a lot of stuff. In other news, the podcast backlog is getting pretty hefty now, and I joked around last week about doing three episodes a week, but that genuinely might be where we end up, because otherwise guests are just going to be waiting for months for their episode to go out, and I don't want that to happen. So yeah, Richard Shotton, uh, Bruce Duckworth, who is the graphic designer that created the Amazon logo, also does the design for Coca-Cola, Metallica, Burger King and McDonald's. He's been on. Uh, Zach Tellander, Coach ZT, one of the best uh, weightlifting channels on all of YouTube. He's been on recently. DJ Fat Tony, a man who spent a million pounds on drugs across his career. Uh, George McGill coming back on to do Mental Models 103. So there is a lot to be excited about coming up. And if me and Dean decide to pull the trigger on it, you may very well have three episodes a week. All right, quick maths. The less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money that you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce the costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite, and you are improving efficiency by bringing all your business processes into one platform. Over 37 thousand companies have already made the move so do the maths and see how you will profit with NetSuite. Back by popular demand NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com modern right now. That's netsuite.com modern. Anyway, it's time for Michael Malice. Michael Motherfunkin Malice in the building. How are you? Boy, brother. Yeah, good to be here. Uh, governor, I think I saw you. Cover tea, right. Governor. How are you? <laughs> yes, rather. <laughs> so I feel like we need to bridge the gap between our first episode and this one because this is like someone watching season one of Michael and Chris and now yes. watching season five of Michael and Chris. <laughs> And there's a whole bunch of narrative that's gone on. Now we both, we, we're living together. We, we own a dog. Um, I've met your parents. I'm considering proposing, all that sort of stuff. And, uh, <laughs> it's been so far. It's been five seasons. <laughs> Season five's getting serious, man. So um, I want to ask you, what have you learned since we've been friends? So it's funny. I'm going to answer that question in a second. I just finished reading this book 
which is called Gumption Island, which is a forgotten book. It came out in 1956 by Felix Morley. He was a Pulitzer winner. For the, he was the first one to win a Pulitzer for the Washington Post. Uh, he was one of the founders of the Mount Pelerin Society. Uh, he, you know, he later became a prominent you know, anti-war uh, right-winger. And the book it takes place, basically the premise is there's this, this, this community in Maryland, in America. They're hit by the Soviets with a weapon, and they're thrown back in time to the dinosaur era. And what's amazing about this book there's all sorts of action that happens off screen, like you were just mentioning. And I'm reading it. I'm like, did I miss something? <laughs> like the Russian character marries the daughter of the other prominent character. And you only find this out when they're like, well, ever since you guys get married, I'm like, wait, when they were never even dating. <laughs> was I'm going the ceremony, back. yeah. They were never even dating. One of the kids is eaten by a pterodactyl. And it's never mentioned again. I'm like, hold, isn't this a problem when children are being eaten by anything? And, the, and then there's this whole subplot where the bankers in this community want to have a coup and basically seize control. And like five pages later, it's like, well, ever since we had to impeach blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wait, they, 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 the coup failed? Like, it's so crazy reading like this. So what have I learned since we've been friends? You are, you and I probably chat on a daily basis at this point, I think. You're probably the closest person in my life who I've never met. Um, and I think, uh, you know, we come at life from uh, um, probably different perspectives, but similar wiring, um, different, very, very different life experiences, but a similar approach being uh, extreme intensity, intellectual curiosity, um, pride, yet self-awareness. I, I think maybe we all fail in some of those, maybe not others. So I think one of the things I have, well, you've given me some fitness advice, which has been very useful. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, since this, we became pals, it's this mates, I think they say over there, mm -hmm. uh, this whole virus thing, you know, obviously hit. So that's obviously thrown a number for all of us. You know, know what? The one thing I've learned, uh, I would say, if I had to put the one thing, is that I have a bigger this is going to sound pompous and I don't care. I have a bigger audience than I realized and that there are people who, when I do crap like this, it actually gives them something to do. So I better get off my ass and do it. Uh, I don't have the space to be um, kind of in hermit mode. I couldn't agree more, man. There's a, a an analogy that I use all the time about the hero in the, the mythological stories. And it's like, it's the unwilling hero. The hero has to go and slay the dragon, not because he wants to, but because he can, and because he can, he has to. It's like if no one else is going to go slay the dragon, and I said this to you, I, I was, I can't remember where I was. We were driving somewhere. I had you on Skype talking away, and uh, I was like, man, like you have a particular coalition of skill, like a, a Liam Neeson. I have a very particular set of skills, <laughs> and uh, you have a very particular set of skills. And if now isn't the time for people who can make their audience feel connected and like they're a part of something, if now isn't the time to do it during a global pandemic where everyone can't, literally can't leave the house, then when when is that time? Yeah, but for me personally, there's two big issues with that. One is, and I just had to block someone on, on uh, uh, social media because they were just rolling their eyes. It's, I, I'm, an, I'm an extreme introvert. Um, I do not do well with groups, which is not, you know, which is people misunderstand what introversion is. And also... Um, it's the kind of thing where I don't want to think it's, it's obnoxious to think of yourself as these people you've never met. You're having an effect on their life. It's like, all right, get over yourself. But it's like, well, the data's there. Um, so if they, they think this because this isn't how I 
um, entertain myself. And this isn't how I get out of my funk. I don't watch podcasts. Um, it's not my thing. I get very, very rest, you know, and part of the reason is I'm a talker, right? And part, so when I have to sit and listen to people talking and the more interesting the conversation, the more I want to be engaged in that conversation. So inevitably it would become a source of frustration rather than, uh, some, it's, it's, I mean, for me, it's a very, of all the activities, this is the one where I wouldn't want to be on the bench. Um, I don't know if they have that idiom over there, no, whatever, yeah, they, have yeah, in, yeah, yeah. whatever yeah, they have in cricket. On the sidelines, <laughs> on the sidelines, yeah, 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 on the bench. Okay. Well, th- here's, a, here's an interesting thing about cricket for you. So as, I guess, kind of similar to baseball, but baseball inherently speeds up the batting process because it's after three strikes or a, a couple of balls. Maybe you could have like some strikes, some balls or whatever, 10 minutes probably at most. The bat is, some, he's either at base or he's back in the dugout. Whereas there's... Guys in cricket, I've played games where one batsman has been at the crease, as it's called, out out on the field for days, multiple days that a batsman's done that. And if there's not a lot of other players getting out, that means that especially if you bat down the order further down, you're just sat in a pavilion watching the game unfold. Like there is no more lackadaisical sport on the planet than cricket. You're just there like... observing observing it happen one of the most annoying things about cricket and i do have something annoying is that in 1990 when sir jeffrey howe was turned on thatcher and he stood up in the house of commons and he had a speech that took her down days later and he was just using a cricket metaphor to talk about why she's horrible she's got to go and it's like it's like going to the crease only to find out your something has broken your something and everyone in the house of commons like holy crap i'm like i don't know what these words are (laughs) like crease uh you know so it's just like dude if you're gonna have this speech which is gonna go international very historic this is the judas speech like at least have it be universally understood i don't think cricket is played outside of like uh, former british empire colonies right it's not played like france is it uh, yeah, it, it is played in France. Definitely British colonies, I think, overtakes like South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, yeah. UK. Like, I don't know. think Canada even plays it. Mm, not sure. Yeah, maybe not. I, I don't think they do. I'm I very big at Canadian uh, culture. I'm not sure if Americans have the patience for cricket, man. Like, we'll do now. Fucking everyone's got the patience for everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I want to. I, I want to bring up probably the best story that I've seen recently which is about rishi uh rishi sunak who is the uh british chancellor and this is in the independent yesterday your strange crush on rishi sunak could actually be a racist fetish that's this yeah is so a real do you, know helen, do you know who helen primrose is mm, pluck rose she- Pluck Rose, yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry, yeah. Yes. So she, you know, she was the one who, and her, a couple of her friends, they, uh, I should say friends, colleagues. I'm sorry. She wrote an article for some uh, peer-reviewed journal, just filled with jargon, and it was incoherent. And she got it through. And she's really excellent on uh, Twitter, and and she's one of the people I resent who doesn't follow me back, but that's okay. Um, and she made the point that uh, the social justice subculture. You start with the reverse, with the conclusion, and you reason your way backwards. And that's an example she used. She was talking about cashiers. So if you are uh, kind of don't talk to the minority cashier, you're racist. But if you talk to them too much, you're fetishizing them. Uh, so th- you can't win. And this is an example. Like, so if you don't like a, a person who's a minority in power, 
you're obviously prejudiced. But if you do like him, you clearly like them for the wrong reasons and you just can't win. I don't know who this person is. Um, they haven't crossed the pond, but... Um, so it's the guy who is, for a period, was going on TV at... Let me look fu- him up. Rishi? R- Rishi Sunak. He's the British Chancellor. He's the man who's in charge of our budget at the moment. He's the guy that went on TV and said, we are finding... I see him. I was young. ...330 billion pounds. We will be paying everybody 80% of their wages because it is important for us. I-, I said we would get it done, and we will get it done. When I meant we will get like, dude, he killed it. Like, season one of the British government was awesome. Then in season two, they killed off Rishi and Boris because they've been in isolation. So Care, careful. Let's use a choice of words. You know, <laughs> knock on wood, Boris yeah. is still with us. Yeah. And and. I'm just going to interrupt you. I'm sorry. I just had this tweet. I go, I wish for the health of Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn. I know it's Sir Keir now, but if a world leader goes down, people are really going to start freaking out. And the consequences there are really, really going to be disproportionate, regardless of whether you think Boris Johnson is the devil. Mm. Though it was, and uh, Andrew Doyle found a bunch of tweets of people saying, um, I hope that Boris passes away. I hope that he dies, this, that, and the other. And you think that how just how short-sighted you have to be for that to be the sort of thing that you decide to go out of your way to type on a keyboard and press send well it's two things let's let's be to, let's out outdo them at their own game right let's let's be out out soulless if that happens this is going to get people to like the conservatives more because now they have a martyr Simply. he's going to be retroactively regarded as a hero because we always look at people fondly when they pass than when they're alive um and so this is not going to get you the result that you want um and again not to mention the social unrest that will happen as a consequence so i there is this one of the greatest essays i've ever read online in fact i could probably name only five essays that i've read online that are like super is by slate star codex and he had this piece called i can tolerate anything except the outgroup are you familiar with this no meditations on moloch by scott alexander on slate star codex is probably the best thing i've read in the last two years yeah he so this piece is a masterpiece because he went through social media and he compared people's reactions to when thatcher died to when bin laden died and he pointed out that when thatcher died you know the song ding dong the witch is dead is in the charts and when bin laden died there were plenty of people who were like come on this is a human being even though he was evil and this dissonance he points out is similar i don't think he uses this analogy to the uncanny valley uh, the idea that when mannequins or you know cartoons become a little too lifelike, but a little not lifelike enough, that little spot, it's actually very disturbing, as opposed to when they look exactly like humans or they look like cartoons. And it's like when someone is close to us, but just a little off, we are much more put off with, with them and are much more hateful than if someone is completely you know outside the fold. Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a weird one, man. The um. The way that people have been reacting. But yeah, okay, let's not use the word kill off. They got rid of them from season two. So I'm hoping on Monday, season three of the British government restarts. And uh, I'm hoping that they bring them back, that they do like King in the North type Game of Thronesy stuff. I- I'm just really sad that Rebecca Long Bailey didn't get the nod because I was a huge fan of hers because she's a real life Titania McGrath. Um, and she was saying how she, she literally, this is her line that she, uh, inequality keeps her up at night. And it's like, I mean, this is, it, it would have been fascinating to see because I feel like Boris Johnson and her are both kind of caricatures of people and a, a certain political stance. Mm-hmm. So watching that kind of like, it would, it would feel much more like a movie 
than adults having adult cliche versus cliche isn't yeah it? yeah 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 man um the next thing so there's only two things really that i've got to bring up but the second one is this david ike interview on london real did you have you seen anything about this if i hadn't brought it up to you over message would you have seen anything I and I told you over or I thought it was pronounced London Real. Isn't there a city called Real Madrid? Madrid. Isn't that a sports so team? Real Madrid is the team from Madrid in Spain. Yeah. Yeah. London so Real. So I assume London Real is something to do with that. Like maybe it's the British I'm not British, even joking. The British fan base for yeah. Real Madrid. Okay. No, it's I mean it would actually probably be more fun if it was that. But let me. So there, let, are there? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Are there British fans of teams from other countries? Yeah, some. Okay. Not a lot. I think when you come from the country where the top flight of soccer football is played, people they get sucked in. But I'm, there will be. I'm sure. I've got a couple of friends I know that support um, some French teams and a couple that support some. I think it would tend to be that you would have a preference when other foreign teams were playing each other. Sure. But in domestic games, you'll have your own team as well. So who's the most popular foreign team in the UK, would you say? Oh, that is a good question. Juventus, perhaps. Uh, Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid. Um, Bayern Munich, maybe. There's some fo- there's football fans just screaming at their phone, at their AirPods at the moment, telling me what it is. But I think I think they would probably be up there. All the European ones. I don't think anyone's going to be loving like LA Galaxy or something like that. I don't okay. think that there's going to be. Uh, so yeah, David Icke. You know who David Icke is? No. Okay, David Icke is a British... How, how would you even call conspiracy theorist like, oh i do i thought it was, i thought it was pronounced icky i'm not because we have someone named harold icky's here he's okay. the one with the, the lizard people with, lizard with colorado people. correct yeah, yes, yes of course lizard people. Yes, yes. right david yes. david ike david icky um so is it ike you sure ike 100%. i'm not sure 100 oh, okay i'm yeah. sorry okay david thank you um so he did an episode about three weeks ago on london real uh with <laughs> with, with brian rose who i've felt a little bit off with for quite a while um i'll get into that in a second did an episode talking about how coronavirus, you know, we don't know what it is. What even is the, what is coronavirus? The people up top, they don't want you to know. And so they did, basically it was that for three hours. Then um, at the start of this week, I want to say Monday, he brought him back in. So first things first, our company is under a national lockdown mandated yeah. by the government. Brian has brought a 60s-year-old man into his office. Not only has he brought him in, but Brian's had to go in. Brian's not a spring chicken. And videographer, photographer, sound desk mixer, production assistant, you know, all that stuff. So they've gone in during a government-mandated lockdown to record this episode. And they record it, and I've listened to the full thing, um, and David Icke says he opens up, and it got taken down off YouTube. I'll get onto that in a second. But if you go into Apple Podcasts, Four minutes and 33 seconds, he says the sentence. This is this is David Icke. This is the headline. There is no COVID-19. It doesn't exist. Yeah. So that's how he opens up, right? That's that's the headline of this. He says it himself. It's self, self-defined. And um, then on Tuesday, YouTube takes the video down. YouTube deletes. It had a live stream. It was very yeah. well watched. It was garnering a lot of attention, obviously, um, and they take it down. 
takes a little bit of time. Brian gets in touch with them and says, finally, finally speaks to them. And they said, um, we have a policy at the moment. And now any videos that are saying that COVID-19 is fake or that it's related to 5G are subject to this same taking down. Now, the problem is that because they took it down, it's turned from being a discussion about the credence behind David Icke's arguments to now a free speech issue. Yeah. And it's immediately just, they're trying to censor the truth, bro. That's the the first thing that everyone has now. And I don't believe that YouTube were right in taking it down. I don't think that they, there was some evidence that people had set fire to 5G towers in the UK, but it wasn't as if it was incited by that episode. So I don't really think that they have any reason to do that, but they did. And now Brian Rose has been on an absolute warpath. Like, fuck the BBC, fuck Facebook, fuck Instagram. I don't even need you. Very narcissistic, very, very self-involved, incredibly self-involved. Um, and that's kind of been one of the biggest things that's happened on the internet in the UK this week. Been pretty mad. Well, that's, that, you know, it's funny. He, so he had the exact opposite reaction that I had. My reaction is no one cares what you have to say. Uh, so I can just sit on my ass and be fine. Obviously, he's got a much bigger audience than I do. And his reaction goes, everyone cares what I have to say. And if I don't do this, this is a kind of world threat to the world. Um, This hasn't crossed over here. Uh, I am, I I don't know about this being a free speech issue. What I am concerned about, and I've talked to many of my friends, you know, I'm I'm an anarchist and and very, very skeptical of government power. But we are all uh, very happy that in every country, uh, it hasn't become rioting. Uh, it hasn't become civil unrest that, yeah, sure, these laws are in place, but I think uh, people are more than happy to do this voluntarily. Um, and I'm shocked and delighted how much because we've all seen the thing that I was having a very big issue with this whole situation was transitioning. I'm a New Yorker. I've been here all my life. And you and I talked about this on the phone, how it was very difficult for me psychologically as a New Yorker to see the streets being empty. It's something I just couldn't uh, just I felt like I was in a movie or a crazy person. And there were movies like I'm Legend or Vanilla Sky where you've seen this. But to see it in reality, it just was a disconnect. And this had you laugh, but this really had really bad psychological uh, consequences. So and no, you're right to laugh. <laughs> but at the same time, I am glad. And the fact that this happened so quickly is also that there was no real transition. It's overnight. Like, don't get in your house. Don't come out. The fact that uh, people have been, by and large, uh, coming together, keeping their spirits up worldwide, that's not how the movies play out. The movies play out that as soon as this happens, the governments have to come in and crack down. They're going door to door, rounding people up or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Putting And I know in like South Korea, they're thinking about putting these bracelets, right, and so on and so forth. And we haven't gotten there yet, but it's been a while. And I and I'm I'm shocked by how mature everyone is, and and glad how mature everyone is being. And frankly, I'm also shocked and delighted by how much uh, the politicians are keeping it together. How there is a lot of all right, let's you know Italy's calling the U.S. They're calling Boris. They're calling South Korea President Moon. They're like all right, what do we need to do? What's working over there? What's working here? And there's a very and and they're also being other than obviously China as transparent as possible. Here's what we're doing. Here's the numbers. Here's what's working for us. Here's not what's working for you. And I think that makes people feel a lot like, all right, they're on it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, man. Like the response has been surprisingly mature from yeah. 
everyone and, from public I, and government. And of course, there's people online who are rolling their eyes right now, be like, how can you say that given X, Y, and Z? Well, yes, I'm saying that considering that information that you also have, given that negative stuff and the positive stuff, I am, uh, the fact that we're not in Lord of the Flies, the fact that we're not in Mad Max, the fact that we're not in, you know, we had riots in, in Baltimore, we had riots in St. Louis uh, not that long ago. The fact, obviously, it's harder to riot when there's disease around, but rioting <laughs> is not a rational, like, you know, you don't sit at home, you're like, all right, when would it be most feasible to riot, right? It's, it's, it's a powder keg. Here's another one, the fact that we haven't had home invasions, uh, things like this, uh, and, and people getting, God forbid, raped in their homes. I mean, this is sit, sitting ducks. Um, that is uh, really... Uh, gratifying. And this is another reason I'm, you know, I'm a hardcore optimist and I'm a hardcore optimist, not because it's my nature. I'm Russian born. It's my nature is the opposite. I'm a hardcore optimist because I look at the data. And if you're going to be a cynic and you looked at the situation now, you'd predict, oh, people are going to be starving, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, no, no. People are really bending over backwards to maintain this social order. Mm. Now we'll see how long this lasts, but it's lasted quite a bit of time already. So uh, and the, as well as could be expected. The thing that i that is becoming increasingly challenging for me, and I don't know whether this is just who I'm exposed to online or some of the stuff, is it's an easy step from that to the conspiracy theorist types that believe there's a second motive to everything that's going on for them to say, well, see, this just proves how compliant the public is when the government decide that they're going to shove their hard rod of fucking policy up your they're eroding your rights they're taking away this they're taking away that and you're like dude fucking give it a rest like what's your alternative genuinely what is your alternative to this would you rather that people were so brian rose again like the guy is brazenly walking around london filming videos 10 30 hey guys 10 30 p.m london real offices just finished up here just wanted to give you an update. It's like, Brian, mate, there is a fucking Oh, government. that's why you sent me that video. There is a, I, now it clicked. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, you sent me that video. I didn't understand what I was No, no, no. Oh, okay, I, sent you, yeah, I yeah. sent you a video of him by day on the rooftop, yeah, yeah. On the rooftop yeah. of government of uh, London Reel's offices saying, just finished a workout here, London yeah. Reel HQ, done some kettlebells, some sprints, bit of break dancing in the stairwell can you imagine coming down the stairs to find brian rose from london real doing break dancing on the landing brian can you stop fucking power yeah, windmilling yeah. please i'm trying to get to the so i mean that's just you're not above the law and he keeps on saying one of the things he keeps bringing up is um we have this little thing in america called the first the first amendment yeah the constitution i'm like the elephant in the room, Brian, is that you are not in America. Like, yeah. you're in the UK. We have hate speech laws over here, for better or for worse. Most people would say for worse. But Count Dankula, all these people that have been, you know, criminal records locked up, et cetera, et cetera, for this. And this is at the same time. So the chief constable of Northamp Northamptonshire Police. Says, Wait, that's a real person? That sounds like a title that we would make up to make fun of you. The chief, chief constable of the what? Northamptonshire Police. <laughs> How many still? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Governor. Well, go I mean, when your title is a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Chief Constable. Chief Constable of Northamptonshire Police okay. said people are persistently and consistently breaking the law by flouting lockdown and they could get criminal record. He's issued essentially um, broader scope for his officers to enforce the law 
And he mentions, he's like, we'll check. If we need to, we have the ability to check what people have in their shopping to check whether or not they're going out to buy an Xbox controller or they're going out to buy milk. And if you're buying an Xbox controller, we'll find you. That's not where they're at, but that's where he's getting to. All the while, Brian Rose from London Real is getting a senile old man to come and talk about lizard people in his offices in the centre of one of the most populous cities on the planet during the middle of a global pandemic. And I, I can't, like, it's just really, I already had a, Brian was already on my watch list. He was already on my cunt list. And now he's just, like, gone straight to the top. I, I don't know that I have anything particular to add to what you just said. I mean, that I can see how that would be. Um, uh, it, it, I think there's also probably an emotional sense. Is this part of it for you that how is it that uh, no good deed goes unpunished? Like, you're, the, you're playing by the rules. You're trying to stay sane. You're locked in your house. And this guy gets to do what you wish you could be doing, break dancing in the stairwell. I'd love and to all break dancing in, yeah. in the stairwell. But, so it's kind of like you, it's it's when people who are rules breakers but in an obnoxious way get rewarded. I think that sets up our, our sense of justice. Yeah, I think as well there's something incredibly insincere about the way, again, because you can't frame it up against his character. It's a little bit more difficult. But anyone that's listening will know, will know what I mean if they know Brian Real, uh, Brian Rose. Um, he was taking selfies on the London Underground a while ago before mandated lockdown was in, but when suggested isolation was still going. Talk, it was just him, just him on the London Underground in an empty carriage, essentially being like, I am here. Look at me. I am a thought leader within this space. And he kept on talking about we need leaders and men of action. I'm like, we need people to stay in their fucking houses, Brian. You need to go break dance in your living room and you need to. Just do what every other podcaster, when Joe Rogan is doing episodes over Skype with f- like fucking Dan Crenshaw and that virologist the other day. And he has been the most, the most like, uh, voracious advocate for not doing that. He's like, I hate doing episodes over Skype. You know, when he's prepared to bend his rules yeah. and he's the biggest on the planet at what he does, like, why, why, why can't you, especially when you bring in an OAP in? See if if this if this Brian guy was smart, he would make a point which does have historical ba- a basis. And I just talked about this earlier on a, a radio show today here in the states. Um, 1918 uh, was when the U.S. entered the Great War, and this was for many of the at the time progressives a huge uh, thing because they're like, all right, we're going to this war. We're going to have our fantasy that we've been uh, advocating for it couple of decades now of having the state manage the entire country basically like one giant company. So now we have to do it. We have to have complete centralization of production, centralization of taxation. We're going to have institute censorship, control of the mails, uh, things like that. So for them, they're like, if we're going to go into this great war, like we're going to get a lot of useful data out of it by seeing how much we can get away with and what it's going to look like. So that when the Great Depression hit, uh, 14 years later, or excuse me, 11 years later, and then FDR was elected in 32, inaugurated in 33, a lot of his New Deal programs, they were like, all right, we went through this during a war. Now you're not going to bitch and moan that we're doing it during the Great Depression because you've already been preconditioned. It's like the second time you get into a fight versus the first time you get in a fight, it's going to be night and day because you're like, all right, I went through this. It sucks. So he does have a point in that if in five years, some government was like we need to do this totalitarianism a lot of people would be saying sincerely guys it's not going to be that bad we've been through this before and we've all done it so stop your complaining so they are necessarily 
I don't. But the thing is, he's saying intentionally. I'm sorry. Like, sure, I'll 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 accept the fact that every politician on some level is a sociopath. But when you look at how they talk, all everyone I've seen from around the world, they all are freaking out. Not freaking out, but they're all extremely concerned. They all feel the weight of this on their shoulders. They all have families. You know, they all have moms and, and grandparents or whatever, things like that. Um, and they're like, all right, like, how, how do we get out of this? I, I don't think they're thinking long term. This is our globalist moment to implement the master plan. Thankfully, I think they're thinking very short term. Absolutely, yeah. When the lizard people's parents and grandparents are dying just as quickly as everyone else's, it, you kind of just, it's the same thing as if you fall into quicksand, right? You don't have an existential crisis when you're falling into quicksand. Right. You just think about getting out. Um, there's this concept by Matthew Syed that I, I have to tell you about, right? It's called compensatory control. Have you heard about this? No. Cool. Why conspiracy theories and demagogues spread in times of worry and uncertainty. So this is Matthew Syed's piece in The Times. Oh, can I guess if, what his answer is? Yes. Uh, and let's see if I'm right, okay? Mm. Uh, are you saying he's on the level, this guy? What's that mean? Uh, I mean, are you saying that what he's saying actually reports the truth or he's using yes. it as an example of someone's wrong guy? Okay. This is correct. Is he going to say that in times of panic, any kind of explanation that's kind of an Occam's razor that gives people a sense of certainty is enormously emotionally reassuring? You are a very clever man. You are, oh yeah, pat on He's the right. back. He's absolutely right. Man, let me hit you with this. So, yeah. psychologists have conducted experiments to shed light on why people lose or at least suspend rationality. One experiment asked people to imagine going to a doctor to hear an uncertain medical diagnosis. Such people were significantly more likely to express the belief that God was in control of their lives. Yeah. Another asked participants to imagine a time of deep uncertainty when they feared for their jobs or the health of their children. They were far more likely to see a pattern in meaningless static or to infer that two random events were connected. This is such a common finding that psychologists have given it a name, compensatory control. When we feel uncertain, when randomness intrudes upon our lives, we respond by reintroducing order in some other way. Superstitions and conspiracy theories speak to this need. It is not easy to accept that important events are shaped by random forces. This is why, for some, it makes more sense to believe we are threatened by the grand plans of malign scientists than some chance mutation in a silly little microbe. Yeah, and, and, and there's a couple of examples of this. I've given talks on networking, and I tell the kids, I go, if you're don't aspire to excellence. It's not going to be possible at your age with your skill set. Aspire to competence. If you're competent, you're at the 80th percentile. And it, and I, the example I use is I would rather you tell me you'll have it on Wednesday and I'll have it on Wednesday than you tell me you'll have it on Monday and give it to me on Tuesday. Doesn't make sense if you think about it, but in other sense, it does reassuringly. I, I There's a therapist I know. His wife had this disease after 9-11, so on and so forth. People would rather, like the fight example, right? Like, if you've never been in a fight, what the hell is it? Once you've been, it sucks, but it's it, the fear, the irrational fear is not there. A disease. They found, yeah, people would rather say you've got leukemia than for, go on for years and they don't know what's they wrong. They don't with know you. what you've got. Yeah, and th that's just how we're wired. And I cannot, you, and we could all understand if we think about it. Mm, absolutely, like, I mean, it's seductive. Yeah. We want to bring order to chaos. Yeah, what about like a relationship? Like what's going, like uh, what's, what was that Facebook thing? It said it's complicated. Like we'd rather be like, all right, it's done a lot of times. When, then when things are ambiguous, like, okay, I can't even deal with this. I have to break it up. 
as opposed to I don't know what the situation is. Have you heard of the Zygonic effect? Do you know what that no, is? what's that? Okay, so it's a, just how the brain has open and closed loops. And it's a writing tool, actually, which might be interesting for you to know, considering that you might start writing again soon. Um, and this was used by, oh my God, a very famous author. And there's going to be people shouting at the, at the podcast again saying who it is. Very famous author back in the day who would use this. Essentially, the brain doesn't like open loops and it does like closed loops. However, open loops can be manipulated. So for instance, let's say that you do a day of writing and you finish your session at night. You could finish the sentence one word in rather than at a full stop. Because then when you come back to it the next day, that loop's open rather than closed. So you just continue an open loop rather than having to reopen a brand new one that's on the back end of something that's being closed off. It's the same reason why we don't like, like you say, um, cliffhanger endings at the end of, uh, of TV series. They're so compelling. We need to watch the next season of Michael and Chris because we want to know what happens next, right? We need to know. That's, that's what it gets them. Zygonic effect, open loop, closed loop. That's interesting. I, I, that's actually speaks to how I write. And then we're going to talk about your shirt because I'm very curious. Um, I, when I write, I do three pages at a session and then I force myself to stop. So that means I never have writer's block because I have more in the can tomorrow and I know I'm not going to have to, I'm picking up where I left off. Do you have so, a, do you have a note taking for like, you, you might have all of these ideas right now and kind of forget, do you just sort of throw them down on a, on a, oh, I've got a separate document or go, go. It, if I have like a future scene or future section in the book, I'll hit return twice and I'll write that. And then when I go back and edit, I'll, I'll put the space in between. That must be, so, that, that must be beautiful to, to reach a section that you need to write and find that a past version of yourself has already written it for you. It's oh, like yeah. a present from past Michael to, to present Michael. Uh, I th- I'm, I've been doing a lot of this time travel uh, kind of thinking. I had this tweet, which I, I thought was really helpful, which is if you're someone who's dealing very poorly with isolation, if you have suicidal ideation or depression or anxiety, I said, write a note to yourself when you are uh, going to be freaking out because this is your rational self t- traveling in time to talk to your future self. And you'll know that this person is telling the truth in writing. And I said, and you and I did this. I said, also make a promise to someone that if things get really bad, you'll hit them up. Uh, and you'll know you made that promise. Things are bad. I got to talk to this person before I do anything crazy. Um, and when we do these notes, another thing is I'm going to be a little frivolous is with um, like maintaining your if you're on a regimen, you're eating a certain way. The reason diets don't work is if it's if it willpower is finite. So if you're constantly having to have, what am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? You're going to at some point have a disorder thinking and you start eating the wrong thing and then it becomes a spiral. Whereas if you tell yourself, this is what you're eating for this week, you know, no matter what you're feeling in that moment, I was in my right mind on Sunday. So I'm going to listen to him. Now, I'm going to ask you about Cuddle Club because one of the most profound things I've ever learned was from my friend Marsha who ran something called Cuddle Party here in the States. And what Cuddle Party was, and it was a big joke, although when people thought about it for 30 seconds, they realized this isn't really a joke, it's actually a great idea, is people would get together and they'd cuddle because physical contact is so important for all of us as human beings. And I asked her, well, how do you, like, I mean, doesn't it get, like, orgy? Like, like what, what happened? She goes, yeah. yeah, yeah, she goes, well, they have a line, like, trust, the, uh, don't fear the boner, and, and that's, that's kind of funny. But the, <laughs> uh, the other line they have is, she says is, it is incumbent on each of us to establish our own boundaries. 
because people take people take as much space as you let them. And I'm like, wow. And when she said that, I think I bring this up all the time. It's so important for all of us, especially on social media, to be like, no, no, I'm not dealing with another moment of your BS because you can't expect that person to respect your boundaries. Now, what is Cuddle Club? So I'm wearing a T-shirt, which on the front and the back says Cuddle Club, and it is by Built Up North, which is Paul Warrior, one of my coaches from CrossFit. It's his clothing brand, sports clothing brand, although it crosses somewhere between Supreme um off-white and uh like a good sports brand i guess so this is this is a a training t-shirt this is what i would i would train in and cuddle club is a concept that they've been throwing around for ages um in fact they've just donated i want to say two and a half grand to mind which is the one of the uk's mental health charities um from a release, a limited edition release of long-sleeved Cuddle Club tops, same as the one I've got on. Uh, so I bought one of those. And it's a reference to people working hard in workouts. This is not fucking Cuddle Club. Like, oh. you, you don't get... Uh, this is this wasn't a cuddle club like really nice. This couldn't be further away, kind of from your um, ladies. What sounds absolutely lovely, a lovely experience of people kind of giving each other support and love. This is more like let go of the fucking balloon. No one's going to do the work for you. I have a T-shirt in there from the same brand, which says the magic you are looking for is in the hard work you are avoiding. Oh yeah, yeah. So th- that's, that's a what point. a lot a lot of the stuff. So shout out Paul Warrior, Jordan, and Tim who will be listening. Who are all pushing this sort of rhetoric when it comes to training. I think it's so cool. And it reminds us, especially when it gets to training, we can become, especially if you're slightly cerebral, and a lot of CrossFitters are. Um, oh, yeah. Rep scheme, this workout, hours of sleep, I'll track it on my whoop band, this is my HRV last night, all this stuff. You kind of forget that there is just a raw animalistic nature to training where you kind of need to go balls to the wall and perhaps give risk uh forget risk for a little bit and and just focus on intensity and have faith that your physiology uh that your training that your movement engrams your nutrition everything will kick in at that time so this is this is not cuddle club but it's also a funny joke because there's a bunch of boys that work for us who went through a period where they just couldn't have sex they kept on going back to girls and girls houses after a night out and they were unsuccessful um, rebuffed could, in one form or another or oh. couldn't get it up or whatever it might have been. Uh, and then this T-shirt, I bought the T-shirt at the same time, so it was very timely on like a number of levels. Well, that speaks – well, let's talk about the flip side of that. That speaks to – there's a great British band I could not adore more. I have a framed picture of theirs signed in my living room, Saint Etienne. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Uh, they're, all, they're a club band. Um, and they have a song called Soft Like Me, and it's just encouraging people to be soft – but I think a lot of times, and I, I've, I've messages to you, that we need to be kind to ourselves. And we tend to think that if we are relaxing, or especially when we're younger, uh, I have a protege and, and he kind of had this, I had to talk him out of it. Like whenever I get a paycheck, 10% of that money has to be spent on frivolities. I put that aside. Because otherwise, being self-employed, I remember the lean years, um, not that I'm particularly wealthy now. And I would always rather wait for the train than pay for the cab. And now it's like, that tithe, like you have to throw this money down the drain so that if you're earning money, enjoy it. So I think a lot of times we have trouble confusing, am I being kind to myself or am I being lazy? 
because the mind is very good at finding excuses not to do the work. It's very good at finding excuses. Don't go to the gym. You go tomorrow, play the video game. And that's not what I'm talking about. But it is something that's very important for driven people to be able to relax, enjoy the fruits of your labors, and and instead of beating yourself up all the time, uh, give yourself a kindness. Because if you are beating yourself all the time because you have this kind of maybe not as good self-esteem, I'm not saying that's your problem, it's not yours problem, it's not our problem. Well, maybe that person with low self-esteem could use a little kindness. And maybe that will make um, his or her life a little brighter. So this is something I think is under, and that's obviously not really the opposite of what they're saying. Um, you shouldn't half-ass your workouts. But this is something I think a lot of us could use a little bit more of. And there's also something I'm very opposed to in my work. Uh, I don't know if it's that way over there, but here in New York and in, in media circles, there's this um, really nasty sneering cynicism towards any kind of kindness or warmth or friendliness it's seen as eye-rolling it's seen as corny it's and it's like you know you're, you're hard to give an example well like any kind of any kind of movie or uh kind of expressions of affection you know is really kind of like oh god oh please it's like it's like it's it's regarded as ridiculous or somehow less than music right or movies if the plot isn't about pathos and about like you know depravity and it's just about like a, a family having a fun vacation and it's very kind of heartwarming a lot of times it's not regarded as legitimate as if they'd gone through you know the kid having leukemia and and make a wish and so on and so forth and i hate that attitude i i really hate it i think kindness goes a long way and here's another example social media right i've always i'm always against this idea that if something is common that doesn't mean it's the norm uh, just because everyone does something does not mean it's actually how things should be and that it's acceptable. And it's perfectly appropriate on social media to go up to strangers and just call them the nastiest things possible. And it's like, uh, congratulations, you found a moron on, on Twitter. Like, this is your big accomplishment for the day. There's there's no shortage of them. Whereas it's, I'm a big troll, as you know, as as many as some listeners might know. My way that I think I've always tried to push trolling to the next level uh, and my trolling technique for 2020 I started out is I've been texting and writing messages to friends of mine, really kind things being like, hey, thinking about you today, I just want you to know I appreciate you as a person and they don't know how to react and it freaks them out. And that's just <laughs> so it's win win for me. <laughs> they don't What's know happened? what to do. Michael, are you OK? And I tell them the truth. My life is genuinely better since I've met you. And they're like, well, how do I respond? Because we don't have that space to be kind to one another. Everyone has to have a joke uh, or dismiss it. And I'm like, that's that's a little insidious. There's so much there's so much for us to unpack from this. But, you know, people that are listening, here's one thing that I realized I was doing. I was really bad at taking compliments. And really? I would, I would brush them off. So okay. I, I, I had imposter syndrome so bad that someone would say something. They would go out of their way, genuinely go out of their way to say, hey man, do you know what it is? I, I really like the way that you pick your arbitrary thing that I do. Open a can of Coke, write words, do your marketing copy. It might have been like um, a physique compliment back in the day, or it might have been something to do with the business, whatever it might be. And I would I would say something back like, uh, oh yeah, well, you know, like that's what happens when you're a total prick all the time or when you've got no life outside of the gym or whatever it might be. Like, and it was, for people that are listening, think about how you respond to compliments. And if that's the sort of thing that you, that you say, there's a, a couple of implications. The first one 
is that's because you don't believe that what the other person is telling you is true. That's the reason you do that. And by not needing to accept it, you close the gap between your self-image and what that person is saying. But the more important thing, and this is what really changed it for me, because I wanted to try and find more of a connection with people. And as an only child, this was like a, a weird kind of bridge for me to get over. Um, what I realized was it's really insulting for someone to go out of their way and compliment you and for you and to then fucking yeah. rebuff it. They've said something really, really kind and nice to you and you've just thrown it back in their face. Like, fuck you. Like, and that's why a lot of people, and this was me for ages, I would say, oh, do you know what it is? I just don't really feel like people care about my work or they don't really like my work. I'm like, I wouldn't fucking care about your work. Every time someone says something nice to you, you just spit it back in their face. Yeah, it's it's actually, but there's something else that there, at a certain point, people, uh, when you're certain uh, sand deviations away from the mean, people don't know how to connect with you. Like I have a good buddy now and he's like into bodybuilding and he's at that point where you will notice him, he walks in a room and everyone has some reaction. It's never just nothing, right? And men are often feel like, uh, like I, you know, I wrote a book on North Korea, I've been to North Korea, and if it comes up at a party, uh, this happens inevitably. And uh, like, what's your book on North Korea? They feel the need to just tell me everything they know about North Korea. And I'm like, this isn't a test and, and you can't win. And it's fine that you don't know or care about North Korea. This isn't how, but they don't, they're trying to build that bridge between their uh, circumstances and mine when, when the bridge is already there. So like, when guys come up and they feel the need to have this conversation and be all like, not complimentary, more like uh, almost like a servile, you know, like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Like, He's like, I don't know how to react because either I come off like a douchebag or I come off whatever. I go, just tell them you're compensating for your tiny penis. And when you say it like that, the guy will laugh and it's like, oh, this guy's normal. He just likes working out. Well, here's and, a, this, this is a good, a good point to interject here. Why don't you mention, because I haven't heard you say this and I haven't asked you this, but oh, you, okay. you tweeted one of the most complimentary things that I think anyone's ever tweeted about me after our first podcast. And you said there's only two people in my life ever that have uh the two people whose whose opinion changed the most after i talked to them yeah was you and uh joey salads yeah what did joey Who's, do because i want to know that joey salads is an internet uh he was like a prankster on youtube he's a youtube personality he's a total bro like you know in every way he came to and he was running for congress i think he still is and he came to do my show and I'm like, this guy's going to be a total moron and I'm going to completely clown him. And within minutes, he was like, I don't know about the Fed. I don't know about the taxes. I do know about social media. I think the Republicans need an AOC. I think I could bring that to the Republican. And I'm like, oh, so he wasn't presenting himself as anything other than what he was. He was open about his limitations. And he's like, here's how to get laid. Like, he's like, this is what you got to do on Instagram, blah, blah, blah. And he's giving me <laughs> tips like from a friendly place. <laughs> And I was like, I had him completely, completely wrong. And when you're coming from that, uh, when you have, it's the expectations game, right? So when I came in, I thought this guy's going to be a, a joke. And right away, he's not that he's being humble. It's that he's being honest. He's like, I don't know these things. I mean, if, if you're going to try to play gotcha with me about foreign policy, yes, you'll win. So I was like, oh shit, this guy, because a lot of these YouTubers, you think that they're going to have their head up their own ass, and I'm sure many of them do. I haven't met many. Mm. It was not that way at all. Um, and ever since then, I will always sing his and your praises. It's just like, oh, it's really, 
it's it's just interesting how we come and we have to have these heuristics when you're traveling in these circles about okay what box is this person probably coming out of because you have your love island thing it's like all right like i know this person it's like oh no i don't uh, yeah. I know what I think is this person. An idea. Yeah, a good example of YouTuber that I think has really taken the red pill on a lot is Logan Paul. Like, that guy is operating four orders of effect down from everything that it is that he does. I don't know whether you saw... Did you see the thing about where he said he was the fastest man on the planet? Did no. you see this? So he went on He went on um, NBC Business... Do they have like an NBC business channel or CNBC? CNBC, yeah, business? CNBC. Like, so they're talking, and this lady is asking him these questions. Dude, you've got to go back and watch it. It's, a, it's phenomenal. So they're trying to talk to him. I think it must have been just after the tax year had ended or something. And they're trying to say, so Logan, you've just been rated as one of the top earning YouTubers last year. You were Your revenue was 14 million. And uh, he's going, yeah, well, Michelle, you know, I really think I might be the fastest man on the planet. Like, I, I really could be the fastest man on the planet. Like, you know, I, I'm definitely the fastest YouTuber by, by, by a country. And he's just going on. And they're, and she's laughing. So she's quite endeared to it. And it's a semi good looking host lady as well. Yeah. So it's kind of like you're seeing her try and battle against his genuine charm. And I'm not like a massive Logan Paul fan, but fuck me. He, and he knew what he was doing. And sure enough, the net, um, he's trending. He's trending on Twitter. Like, because everyone's going, Oh my God, Logan Paul, what a fucking idiot. And then Logan, oh, he trolled everyone. I, I, you made me, Oh, you made me, you made me not hate Logan Paul with just that one anecdote. Dude, he's, he's really operating very, very cleverly. And then he, I think a couple of days or a couple of weeks later, he tweeted the back end of his YouTube studio ad revenue for what he'd seen changing his channel um, from doing that and was like, how's this for finance news for you? Wow. Fuck, okay. I, I'm impressed. He, he really blew me away by that. Yeah. Proper, proper fucking good guy. I've just remembered you disagree with one of my videos. Oh, yes. So you had this video where you are, are advising people that we all desperately want to be we aren't normal, but we want to be normal, right? Um, and I think the vast majority of people do not have any independent thought whatsoever. And many of them resent the very idea of independent thought and individuality. Yeah, I agree. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> We're so on the same page. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that that's wrong. I think what I get worried about, and that's, this is speaking from personal experience, is um, individuals that dilute down their own unique offering that they have the compilation oh, yes. of oh yeah, yeah 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 skills life experience background odd left field thought um and they choose acceptability over honesty because they want to be well liked and there's that quote from my friend George McGill who says i'm astounded by how many people want to be exceptional in life but also want to be well liked and normal by definition being normal uh, requires you to regress to the mean ordinary oh, yeah, people yeah. Ordinary people get ordinary results. Extraordinary people get extraordinary results. And I think a lot more people become normies through the diluting down and the, the um, nerfing of the corners and the edges of what makes them interesting um, because they're scared well, of not being accepted. Well, that's, uh, that's something that is an existential nightmare. And I think that's something, thankfully, that's decreasing. 
uh, because the more that there's people like Rogan and all these other types who are encouraging people to find their own path. And I think now being different in a genuine way, like, you know, like I, I have this guy who I exchange things with. He's a metal worker. He, you know, he sent me this worry coin I carry around with me. He's, you know, like people doing cool, awesome things. I'm not saying he's a freak, but he's not normal. Um, the more of that there is, I think, uh, in high school, you know, back in the day, there would be, it's a lot easier to, uh, isolate and marginalize that person. But now with the internet, it's very, it's much, much, much easier for that person to create an audience and to have people drawn to him. So that pressure, which may historically have been the case, cause you're going to have to work for a company is really thankfully a bygone thing. And my audience certainly uh, is very, I'm very, very opposed to normalcy and this idea that we should strive for normalcy. Um, and, and so uh, I, I think, I, I think that's very sad. I think a lot of things also happen is when people are young and their parents are forcing them, uh, you know, like I, I tell kids, I go, look, you want to be an author, right? Go to any, and you tell your parents you're going to be an author. They're going to yell at you and blah, blah, blah. And you can't make a living and so on and so forth. Then it's extremely hard. There's no question. But I said, go to any bookstore, right? Look around, look at all those shitty, shitty books. That could be you. You could be that mediocre author. But when you put in those terms right away, it's like, oh, this is feasible, right? So a lot of times we have this idea that to be kind of exceptional, you have to be Einstein or you have to be Rembrandt. It's like, no, no, no. That shitty author is also has a weird job and is exceptional. And maybe you're not going to get even to that level. But I promise you by the time you're 30, 40, if you haven't tried, you will regret it for the rest of your life. And if you tried and failed, you still wouldn't care. Because you shot for it and you're like, I wrote a book, it didn't get published, but you know, I learned a lot from the experience. Everyone who's a, this is such a cliche, but people haven't gotten through their head. Every, there's the seen and the unseen. Every single person who's accomplished has an entire storage case full of failures. But you're not going to see that because that's not what reaches the public consciousness. So it, it's, it's like, yeah, I, I promise you, I've got three books on my computer that never got published. That's okay. So uh, you, need, you need to understand that. It's, it's not a failure. It's, it's just a learning process. And the other thing is you keep knocking on doors. Eventually one's going to open. It becomes math. It's not even a question of your talent. It's just a question of your stamina. Yeah. There's a, a quote from Naval Ravikant that I've been throwing around a lot recently, and it is, it's far easier to achieve your material desires than it is to renounce them. And I really love that. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about it and it kind of touches on what you're talking about there that some people may choose either through fear of failure or through um, mindfulness practice and internal work to transcend their desires and say, well, I don't need the car. I don't need to be the author. I am enough as I am. Uh, and it leads people, going back to what we said before, it leads people into this kind of apathetic um, no requirement to push myself. Like they would be in Cuddle Club. They would be, that is Cuddle Club. Um, but the alternative thing to realize, and this is the same, this is my excuse for why I train on a morning. And I want to hear your thoughts about this. Um, if you go out and you do the thing and tick the box, you can still transcend it. You can still transcend needing the fast car, but it is significantly easier to transcend needing the fast car from the driver's seat. And yes. 
you also get the benefit that by pushing yourself forward by that inevitably i'm not one for objective measures of success or quantifiable metrics of happiness and all that sort of stuff like i'm not but you can't deny the fact that those things are society saying to you you are producing something of value you are producing something which is so worthwhile that we are choosing to pay you for it. Fucking give the money to charity. Like you can do, or give the, you know, give, just give the car away, give the free clothes away, do whatever you want. But there's no reason not to expect more or the best that you can from yourself. And it comes back to what you said earlier on about learning when you're being strict enough to continue disciplining yourself that you can achieve more and soft enough to give yourself a break to allow you to not go so far that you that you then snap. Um, and the reason that I train, the reason I train on a morning is I think there is an inherent satisfaction in knowing that you have completed a training session and it resets every night when you go to sleep. So if hmm. you spend your entire day knowing that you've got to train at 8 p.m. at night, that's an entire day with an open loop of anxiety saying, oh, fucking got to train, still got to train, still got to train, I'm going to train at 8 o'clock, got to train. Whereas if you finish your training session by 12 midday, you're like, oh, rest of the day's mine. I've already got, I've already got my training out of the way because it is a, a groundhog day that resets every single midnight or whenever you go to sleep and you get to tick huh. that box. I, I don't, I, I am not a good person to talk to about this because I am psychotically disciplined and I have been <laughs> for a long time. So I am so strict with my schedule. I train at night because I don't like it when the gym's busy. So my gym's 24 hours. I would go at 11 midnight. I go to bed at two in the morning every night, um, wake up at 11 in the morning. So if I woke up and went to the gym, I would, I would resent it. For me, it's relaxing to end on that. Um, and it's also like I've been, I went too often. So my buddy's like five days a week is plenty. So I had to force myself to take a, an extra rest day. Uh, and only, and cause I was doing six. Um, so, but I, I, I don't know that I'm wired that way. I think if I got my work done in the mor- no, in the morning, then I would feel antsy that I have 14 hours to fill. So I don't know. I think it also depends on how much of output we have and how much input we have, right? Because I've got like three jobs and, and so on and so forth. So if I only had the working out, that might be a situation where I would be like, I want to do it in the first thing because then I know if I'm not unemployed. I'm not going to worry about hitting the phone and not getting the callbacks because I know I did something for the day. Mm. But since I will have enough on my plate, whether I go to the gym or not, regardless, that will take care of that part of my brain, which otherwise would be screaming, it's going to be wasted today. It's going to be wasted today. It's going to be wasted today. You're watching too much you know, uh, stupid videos on YouTube. Yeah, I wonder whether that's perhaps a little bit of me um, getting easy wins in earlier on um, because I tend to work like that. My morning routine is like, 10 wins by 9am or 10am like a, a ton of things so I'll have gone for a walk journaled done breath work meditated done my spinal rehab read cooked and prepped my food for the day and maybe done something else like by 9:30 or 10am and that's just me perhaps still trying to build up that level of um self-confidence and kind of uh belief in my own uh, worth to get the day going real hard, you know, like kind of s- set off in in a high gear type thing and, and, and get moving. So, yeah, it's an interesting one, man. How have you been finding um, training from home and stuff like that? 
So I I gotta tell you, I do, I do not take it for granted having like a a, a decent audience of quality people. Um, I think I'm very blessed to have this, and I was going absolutely crazy not having access to gym because this is very important for me for mental health. Um, and I was on a cut and, and I was reaching, I, I was at my peak a few years ago. I fell away cause my trainer vanished and now I was getting back to that point. Um, and having that just abruptly stopped, it was, it was really freaking me out really badly. I mean, I, w- I w- went to the park here at 10 o'clock, you know, but you can only do so many pull-ups and dips in, in that park, whatever. And I had a fan who she's in Florida, Phoebe, God bless you. Uh, God bless you so much. She goes, here's the key. The key is in the lockbox outside my house. Here's the code. I called her while I was in her house. I did her dishes. I, you know, I watered her plants. I was glad to do it. She gave me, she had a pair of 30 pound uh, kettle, uh, barbells and a 65 pound kettlebell. Between that, since I'm, I'm kind of leaning in a very lean place, it's fine. It's not ideal, but it's certainly psychologically, it's fine and physically, you know, in a great place. So having that is very, very, very uh, um, relaxing uh, in that part of the brain. It's like you're wasting time or you're, we all have, we have this, I I don't know if you do, because you've been, uh, I mean, this has been something part of your life for a long time. I think a lot of people who, for whom working out is a part of their life, have this idea that your body is a series of balloons. And if you stop working out for like a month, you're going to be back where you started and like years will go away. Now, that's not how it works at all. But emotionally, that's what your brain is telling you. And there's nothing you can do to tell it otherwise until you go back and are like, oh, I dropped five pounds in my bench. Like, mm-hmm, who cares? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. One of the reasons that I'm so happy, uh, Aleiko is a Swedish company and obviously don't know whether you know, but Sweden are essentially just going about their business as normal. Yeah, yeah. Bars and restaurants and shit are open. So you can order kit from them. So I ordered, I've got some stuff off them. Very fortunately, just before the lockdown started, we got uh Watt bike, which is like an exercise, really sophisticated exercise bike and some other bits and pieces. One housemate's a physio and the other housemate's a PT. So like, I, you know, I, I'm essentially in a gym. I'm in a gym. Yeah. Uh, and I was going to order weights, but they were sold out everywhere here. Not, you know what's sold out at the moment in the UK? Hair clippers. Oh, I can't God, get yeah. a fucking, I can't get hair clippers to save my life. I, I am going, I've like every 1981 haircut I've been going, I had it down. I had it like the guy from the damned. I had Duran Duran. I, I mean, I'm like, all right, I had this streak in my hair because I did this Tulsi Gabbard look. You guys probably in the UK don't know her uh, when I was in Dave Rubin. And I thought it was going to grow out in one session. It does not. It takes forever for a streak to go out. And we were going to dye it back. But then hair, the hair, um, all the hairstylists are, are closed by law. Yeah. So now it's getting longer than it's ever been in my life. I found this. I didn't know this. Those round combs, I guess girls know this. They straighten your hair um, when you comb it out enough. Okay. So my hair is wavy. And now I can do things with it. I'm like, all right, it's going to look crazy. I mean, you know what I would fun. love? I would absolutely adore to see you with a top knot. Oh, a man bun? Yeah. Oh, God, no. Dude, oh, God, no. Oh, God. On. It's a nightmare of all nightmares. Bro. A nightmare of all nightmares. It would look so sick. So yeah. <laughs> here's the thing for you, the listeners. Sick as in the sense that I awesome. should Awesome. Down- it would look, it would, dude, you would get so much poon. Like, yeah, just bare uh, poon. Um, yeah. We, the OG Modern Wisdom listeners will remember this. So for pretty much the entire first year that we were doing this podcast, 
Johnny, who is Yusuf's business partner, one of the other regular co-hosts, we convinced him that a top knot was a good look. And he grew his hair for well over six months and kept on shaving the sides. And we were like, dude, it's going to be awesome. And I still, to this day, I still genuinely think, and this is, it goes back to the weird thing, right? So Johnny has this very uh, oxymoronic personality makeup. He's a chartered accountant who left a very corporate job to start his own fitness business online, which is incredibly successful. He still loves spreadsheets. He's kind of always dresses in Hollister, Abercrombie, lots of navy, nice shirts, Ralph Lauren shirts, you know, just kind of a bit, a little bit preppy. Horrible. You're, yeah, you're, you're a hipster. Um, yes. Yeah, I know. Uh, kind of, kind of preppy. Um, very, very clean cut, always well shaven. Um, but can deadlift 312 kilos. And is oh, a f- wow. That's and is crazy. a freak powerlifter. He still holds the Northern deadlift record. So he's unbelievable powerlifter, ridiculous quality. And I'm like, I, there's just one more thing. And I just wanted the top knot, the man bun, to just set him off as like a barbell samurai. And I want, I want you, I want, I want top knot. I want top knot malice. I, I'm far more of a ninja than a samurai. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And it will never, ever, <laughs> ever. My, my, my buddy who you reminded me a lot of, I'm like, why am I getting on so well with this guy, Chris? I'm like, oh, my very, very good friend, John Durant, who I edited his book on the paleo, called the Paleo Manifesto. You and him are very similar in many ways and both very, very white. Um, and he had one for a long time and it worked for him because he had this whole caveman look. Um, but I, oh my God, the the idea, oh my God, I can't, I'm just getting this. Just disturbed thinking about it. Oh, Although I can pull it off, I can pull off a you lot. Kill it, especially when you've stuff. got that with like your your like old school old school um, jeans from like the seventies or the cords that have like got all of the th- the pleats washed down or whatever they're called. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'd love that. I'd love it so I, much. Yeah, maybe yeah, next year. I know. Look. Michael, man, we've we've made it. We made it all the way through. We did Brian Rose. We did we did coronavirus. We did your training. Um, what are you what are you doing for shows now? People want to like watch you consistently. Where can they go? So me and uh, this guy Dave Smith. He's a very failed comedian. He also has a show on Gas Digital where my show You're Welcome is on. So we've been doing crossover episodes because our audiences overlap a lot. So by having it like having these bro outs, by having it me on Tuesday and then him on Thursday and then uh, picking up, having this ongoing conversation is giving our audiences a sense of continuity and a sense of like, okay, we're, so that's kind of what we've been uh, um, doing now. And it's really had a very positive response. So if they want to watch me chat with one of my buds and with you, I mean, and if this gives people some semblance of normalcy or normality or happiness, I'm glad to do it. Yeah, man. I couldn't agree more. Michael Malice on Twitter, of course. Going, who have you, what have you done recently? Final thing. What's been your favorite tweet that you've, um, put out recently? If the corporate press had been as worried about China as they'd been about Russia, we'd all be in a lot better place. That's a mic drop. That is true. (laughs) You're totally right. You're totally right. And that is a whole new. That is a whole new podcast now that we need to go into it. So yeah, yeah. Just to go through that at the very, very end. Look, Michael, man, thank you so much, dude. It's been Talk soon, buddy. pleasure. Pleasure. See you later on. Thank you very much for tuning in. 
if you enjoyed the episode please share it with a friend it would make me very happy indeed don't forget if you've got any questions or comments or feedback feel free to message me at chriswillex on all social media but for now goodbye friends yeah.